May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The prophets of the Old Testament are often a problematic, perhaps even the most problematic section of the Bible to read for the average Bible reader. I mean, when you're reading the prophets, one of the things that you have to take into mind and to keep in mind is that what you're reading is often collections of very old sermons, a sermon not usually in narrative form. I mean, it's not like you're even getting, you know, the prophet's journal. He's not giving you his his daily happenings. You're not reading a, a narrative of the prophet's life, not usually. Mostly what you get is the sermon itself. A sermon that presupposes a particular context. A sermon that presupposes that the audience understands what's going on politically and socially and culturally and all of those sorts of things. It is a sermon with an understood context. And that the reader should grasp that, would would be part of, in fact, that context. What's more, the prophets write in a, in a fashion, their homiletics is, is not like the straightforward lecture that you get at a university. It's not even like the aphoristic ramblings of, of say, a, a proverbial writer, you know, one who, who writes in Proverbs and has these little sayings that go from one thing to another. No, the prophets are preachers, and they preach with a, a, a particular um, method. They, they preach where they mix their pose and their pro- poetry kind of at random, and, or at least at, at free will. They have, um, they have these great passages, and we love to pull them out, even if we can't understand them, because I mean, they're dripping with the, just the right hope and optimism and religious sentimentality. We get passages like in Isaiah 40, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain brought low. The uneven ground shall become level in the rough places of plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I mean, what a great little little section of poetry. What, what kind of rich imagery it has. Or at the end of Isaiah 40, Even you shall faint and we be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, these are great verses, aren't they? I mean, these are things you stick in a, in a note or a card to someone. Or the passage that we have today from Isaiah 55 begins, Everyone come, everyone who thirsts. Actually, it should be translated, Ho, or alas, or pay attention. Everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This sounds nice, doesn't it? This is Hallmark card kind of stuff. These are the sort of things that people put on plaques and hang in their living rooms or in their kitchens or post on their front door. It's very, very rich and warm and sentimental. But sometimes when we yank out those passages like that, we rip apart the prophet's sermon. We, we take him out of context. We, we miss the, the even richer imagery that's down in there. Chapter 54 and 55, the book of the prophet Isaiah, are sort of a a sermon that kind of comes together as a unit. It speaks to specific socio-cultural events that are going on in Israel. 
And the events that the prophet's preaching about kind of suppose a knowledge of the bigger picture of the history of Israel. If I was to ask any of you, you know, tell me the story of the United States of America. And you would jump right back, wouldn't you? Immediately, you would be, you'd be in Great Britain and, and settlers coming across and the Mayflower and, and how that became, you know, uh, colonies and, and how the colonies not want to be taxed without representation. We should at least have a say in this. And you, you'd go through the whole story, wouldn't you? You know that story. It's your story. You own that story. It's the part of the people that we are. And so in Israel, the story of what it means to be part of Israel, a story that begins with God calling a man named Abraham. Abraham, come, go to the place that I'll show you, and there you will find land. It will be a beautiful, wonderful land. And I will give you children, more children than the sands of the sea or the stars in the sky. I'm not quite sure yet how that was really a, uh, you know, a, a, a benefit to Abraham. I mean, I don't know if he thought about putting him all through college or anything. But anyway, there was this call, come. I thought that was funny. Come, Abraham. And he, and he does. He leaves. He leaves his home, his family, goes to a place he's never seen. And Abraham has a son eventually. You know that story? And his son has a son who's called Jacob and whose name is later changed to Israel. And Israel has 12 sons, one of whom was named Joseph. Now Joseph, you know, like most people named Joseph, was stunningly handsome, brilliant beyond measure. <laughs> Very charismatic person. You got that, Frank. I'm glad. I was wondering if anybody was going to catch that. Joseph was this clever fellow, well-loved by his father, But because of this, because of all Joseph's great characteristics, his brothers despised him. They envied him. And so they beat him up and they sold him into slavery. And he eventually was taken down to Egypt. Years later, his brothers have to come begging for forgiveness to buy food. They kind of make up and they all buy houses in the suburbs of the the Nile Delta in Egypt. And they live there and they have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and then generations die off and they go on. And for 400 years it's like this until all of a sudden all that you can see are all these inhabitants in Egypt who are not Egyptians. They're all called Hebrews. They all come from this family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all down through the line. And they're all children of Joseph and brothers and cousins and all this. And they become a threat to the people in Egypt. The Egyptians are worried about all these Hebrews. What are we going to do with all of them? And so you know, they enslave them, they pass laws, they execute their children. And along comes Moses. Any of this sounding familiar? I mean, you're remembering this story, right? This is is the story of the Bible. This is the story that is the backdrop for all that goes on in Isaiah's sermons. And you know the story that Moses leads the people out of Egypt. And they're going through the desert, and they, Moses says to the people, we have to stop at this mountain. I'll be at the top of the mountain. You stay right here. I'll be back down in a little bit. And he comes down. I've heard from God. He gives me ten words. Ten words. This is the law you're to live by. This is to be the basis for how you live out your lives and make your decisions and bring honor and glory to God. And when you do these things, man, it's going to be great. You're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise. You're going to be filled with, you know, all kinds of good things. Your land's going to produce. Your children are going to be happy. Everything is going to be good as long as you do these things. 
But if you don't, if you turn against God, if you reject these ten words, and you begin to live in ways that are contrary to God's will, you know what's going to happen? It's going to go down fast. Your land's not going to produce. Your children are going to rebel. Life is going to be miserable. You're going to find yourself living hand to mouth. And pretty soon, other nations are going to come in and they're going to destroy you. This is the story. This is the message that every Israelite grew up knowing. And this is the backdrop behind Isaiah's preaching and prophecies. What do you think the people did? Any idea whether or not they bought into the ten words? We're going to live this way. This is what we want to do. This is, oh yeah, go God. You know that doesn't what happened, right? A few generations and it's, oh, that's my parents. Old, outdated, old-fashioned religion. We don't want none of that stuff, you know. Look at what everybody else is doing around us. Don't they look much happier? Don't they look richer? Don't they look like they're having more fun? Let's be like them. And God sends preachers to say, no, stop, turn around, come back. Their names are Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Hosea. There are all these passages that I say are hard for us to read because the context is so difficult to discern. And Isaiah comes along and, and he preaches a lot. There are 66 chapters in his, his book. That's a lot of material for an ancient Near Eastern world. That's a lot of written material. I imagine they only captured part of what was a larger oral body of literature of preaching. You know that he, he's speaking all of this. Here's what Isaiah says. For 39 chapters, the very beginning of the book, stop, turn around, God knows. It, it, you're not getting past Him. He sees everything. He knows that you have rejected Him as your king. He knows that you are out trying to barter with the other nations for protection. He knows that you don't live by His ten words that He's given to you. He knows that you oppress the poor. You try to extract money from them even though they have nothing to give. He knows that you, your sexual licentiousness is beyond, beyond compare. That you have rejected views about, uh, about morality and, and the way to handle your body. God knows these things and you're not getting by. And you know what Isaiah says? I'm going to make it very specific. The Babylonians, they're right next door. And they're knocking. They're not just knocking, they're thundering. You hear the hoofbeats of their horses? They're coming for you. And you have a choice, Israel. This is what he says for 39 chapters. You can turn back to the Lord or they're going to come in and level the place. And they're not going to do it by accident. They're going to do it because God has sent them. And nobody listens. And nobody returns. Nobody turns back to God. Nobody at all. In fact, the Babylonians do just as Isaiah predicted. They go through the small towns in the country, in the south, and they destroy them. They were like, oh, it was easy, shooting fish in a barrel. I've never done that, but people tell me it's easy. They, it's really, you know, just boom, 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 all through the countryside, destroying these little towns and villages. And then they go to Jerusalem, this walled city, and they lay siege to the walls. They burn the gates and they go through. And when they're inside that walled city, they destroy it. They kill every Israeli soldier. They murder almost every able-bodied man. 
They take the women and the children and the elderly and they chain them up and line them up outside the city walls. They burn their homes. They go to the temple, this this magnificent building in the center of the city of, of Jerusalem. And they lay waste to it. They burn it to the ground. But only after they go in and take everything of value out, all the gold, all the beautiful religious artifacts they remove. They go to the king's palace and they empty the treasury. They load up their carts with all the gold and then they destroy his home. Everything of worth and value they lay waste to. And then as they're leaving, they take all the people who were living there that they didn't kill and they march them 500 miles to what is today modern Baghdad. They exile them from their homes, just like Isaiah said they would do. That's the bad news. Chapter 54 and 55 is the good news. The good news is though they have been, they have been judged, they have been punished, they have been exiled, they have not been abandoned. That God still has a plan for His people. He still has a plan to save Israel. And even more than that, to bring the whole world who wishes to be part of Israel into this saving family. The the whole story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob can be the story of every person who wishes to be part of this family. That's why Isaiah's his, his, his invitation, right? Come, all who are thirsty, come, buy, buy, find living waters, come, buy food, wine and milk. Come, is it, this is a metaphor, right? It's not literal. He's not really talking about water. He's not really talking about food. Not real milk and wine. Though the wine part might not be so bad. Come, he's saying there's, there's, there's real life here. And the life is a, is a life of the soul. This, this parched living, this, this dead life that you've lived, doesn't have to be like that. You know, in the ancient world, there were, um, there were actually water vendors. Water is so hard to find in the, in the Middle East, in a dry, arid land, that there were people who sold water. Imagine you are a thirsty, parched traveler and you see a water vendor. That's what Isaiah is saying. God is like that. He's saying, come, I have what will really satisfy, what will bring real satisfaction to your thirst. Not stagnated water, but even better, milk and wine, food. But did you catch the irony? There was irony there too, wasn't there? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, no money, right? He who has no money, come buy and eat. How can you buy something if you have no money? I mean, imagine just for a moment that I said to you, "Um, would you do me a favor? Would you run over to the Acme? I need a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and the bottle of the best Cabernet you can find. Okay, will you do that for me? And I know what you would say. You would say, of course I will. And you would run right over and do that. Um, but say this day, I say that to you, and you say to me, oh, you know, I would. But I forgot my wallet at home. I left my purse back at the house. You know what? I, I don't have any money. So I'll be glad to go do it for you. But give me some money, all right? That's what you would say, right? I, give me the money and I'll be glad to go do it for you. You cannot be a purchaser unless you have money with which to purchase that which you're purchasing, right? You need capital in order to buy something. And Isaiah says, if you have no money, come and buy. 
How can you do that unless someone else pays it? Somebody is willing to pay it. It's not that it's free. It's that it's been paid by someone else. Come, come, come. Listen, listen, listen. That's what he says in the first three verses. Come, come, come. Three times. Listen, listen, listen. Come by. Stop living. Stop living this meager existence. Find something that really satisfies. How do you move from the metaphoric to the literal? Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord. Call upon him. Forsake your wickedness and return to the Lord. Isaiah's message to, were to people who had known what it was like to lose everything. They had trusted in something that they thought would satisfy and it did not. It brought about destruction. And they knew that it came about by their own poor choices. They had chosen wrong. They had chosen poorly. But there's hope. Call upon the Lord. Turn from wickedness. Come back to Him. Return to Him. And find health and life. The good news, the good news is this. The good news found not, flipping to the New Testament, right here in the middle of the Old Testament, in the 55th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, that if you're hungry for meaning, if you want a real, authentic spirituality, not a dead, dry religion that is simply words and no meaning, if you want real life, if you want something that really satisfies, don't look to buy it. In all the consumer society, that car will not make you sexier. That thing will not make you more brilliant. That 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 investment will not make you richer. May make you wealthier. But the thing that makes you the the life that you want to live is found only here, in the living God. Come to Him. Door is wide open. All you have to do is enter. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.